Production support for Earth Eats comes from Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio. Architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy-positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio. And insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive home, auto, business, and life coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at BillRushInsurance.com. From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats. This week on our show, we talk with Hattie Johnson from our local school district's nutrition services about providing takeout lunches during the school building closures. And I've got a simple meal idea to last your household a couple of days in quarantine. So stay with us. Renee Reed is back with our news, reporting from her home uh, studio. Hi, Renee. Hi, Kate. It's good to be here. On March 1st, the same day New York City implemented a citywide ban on plastic bags, the city also saw its first confirmed case of COVID-19. Stores struggled to phase out plastic and appealed for deadline extensions as shoppers adjusted to the use of reusable bags. But soon, the coronavirus tide started rising and everything changed. Governor Andrew Cuomo declared a state of emergency on March 7th, followed by stay-at-home orders on March 20th, and grocery shopping in the city suddenly turned into something like a hazmat operation. And part of the solution to reduce health risks, say plastic industry lobbyists, is more disposable plastic bags. The New York Times reported that groups like the Plastic Industry Association sent letters to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services asking for a public declaration that plastic bag bans pose a public health threat. Several states across the country have lifted recent bag bans, including New Hampshire, Maine, and New Jersey. In late March, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker issued a public health order banning reusable bags and lifting restrictions on plastic bags. Conservative and libertarian think tanks such as the Manhattan Institute and the Competitive Enterprise Institute have suggested reusable grocery bags are riskier than plastic. But evidence to support banning reusable bags for health reasons is inconclusive. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention does not provide guidelines linking the use of reusable bags to the spread of coronavirus, but recommends washing reusable bags often to prevent foodborne illnesses. The World Health Organization states that coronaviruses may persist on surfaces for a few hours or up to several days and recommends disinfecting any surface that may be infected. Small-scale farmers and meat producers rely on local restaurants, school systems, and farmers' markets for the majority of their income. But closures during the COVID-19 pandemic are forcing farmers to face dramatic losses in revenue. The National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition released an impact assessment last month, estimating local and regional markets will face a total loss close to $1.3 billion from March to May of 2020. The assessment also outlined policy recommendations for mitigating these losses, including expanding incentives for small food and farm businesses to move online, explicit involvement of local food and farm businesses in small business support programs, and accelerating waivers and expanding flexibility for current USDA programs. 
The CARES Act, passed by Congress last week, provides $24 billion in emergency aid for farmers and ranchers, but doesn't specify how the aid will provide direct assistance to small-scale producers. But all is not lost for small-scale farmers and producers. While the institutions farmers typically rely on are closing, people are buying more products in grocery stores. Retail meat sales were 70% higher this March compared to last year. An article in Civil Eats indicates another bright spot. Every producer they contacted during their research had seen increased CSA subscriptions and direct-to-consumer sales. The article also outlines many localized solutions for small-scale farmers, like pop-up markets in Portland, Boulder, and Houston, and emergency home delivery services on the East Coast. Thanks to Taylor Killo and Chad Bouchard for those stories. For Earth Eats News, I'm Renee Reed. With the first inklings of the possibility of public schools closing in response to COVID-19, I noticed right away on social media a concern about school lunches. It seems people in my circle have an awareness of how much some families in our community rely on those daily meals throughout the school year. Turns out, even before the school closings were announced, the district had a plan for that. Our folks are working at all our buildings preparing meals for pickup on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, all packaged and ready to go home. That's Hattie Johnson. She's the Director of Nutrition Services for the Monroe County Community School Corporation. She explained that the USDA has several child nutrition programs, and for an unanticipated school closure, they're allowed to implement a program similar to their summer meal program. They can serve meals to any child 18 years and younger. Typically, food service require the students to eat the meals on site. Like they can't take it away unless it's a documented field trip. For this cause, part of what we need to do right now is not have large groups of people together. So to support that USDA did grant a waiver that allows us to be able to do that and still qualifies. I stopped by my neighborhood elementary school this week to check it out. They were set up at the entrance to the school with some plastic tables lined with bags. The rope from the school's flagpole tapped out a steady rhythm. I spoke with Sharon Stanton. She's the kitchen supervisor at Templeton Elementary. We've been doing the distribution since um, last Monday, which is March 23rd. And this site here, we were feeding six other schools and four communities which in one week time, we made over 5,000 sack lunches for breakfast and lunch. Each student will get two days worth of food. We distribute Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So Monday and Wednesday, they will get meals for Monday and Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, they'll get meals for Wednesday and Thursday. And Friday, they'll only get meals for Friday. It's for any children under the age of 18. So if a family comes in, say to go to Templeton, and they have a student here, and then they have a little brother or sister who's not a school age yet, but they are under 18, then they also would get a meal. Each school can take families from other school sites. And the meal contains just like a lunch meal, which is their main entree, which is a protein and a grain. They get a fruit, they get a vegetable, they get milk. 
We serve chili, so that comes with the core muffins. And so we make sure they get a protein and a grain. The distribution is set up in two ways. The, the community will come in their van or cars. They will drive up, and then one of our ladies will come out and see how many children they have. And then we will set it up here. She will grab the bag, and then she'll take it. The parents or guardian, or they, they do not get out the car. So it is like the drive-up system. If a walker comes, they still have to stay within their six feet distance. They bring on the table, they put it down, and then they'll go and get it. No physical contact at all. They're very important. There are a lot of children who need the assistance. And there's a lot of, even if they don't need the assistance, the, the grocery stores are so thin of what they can buy. You know, so everybody is just kind of in the same category right now. It's for anyone, for anyone in the community. Any child under the age of 18 can get a meal. We just tally. If a car is up and say they want two, then we check off two. So there, there is a tally sheet that we give um, to our supervisor at the end of the week. That was Sharon Stanton, the kitchen supervisor at Templeton Elementary School. After a short break, we'll talk more with Hattie Johnson, the director of nutrition services for Monroe County Public Schools. Production support comes from Blooming Foods Co-op Market, providing local residents with locally sourced food since 1976. Owned by over 12,000 residents in Monroe County and beyond. More at bloomingfoods.coop. Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent with Personal Financial Services, assisting businesses and individuals with tax preparation and planning for over 15 years. More at personalfinancialservices.net. And Bill Brown, at Griffey Creek Studio, architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio. The food distribution program may be running smoothly now. They're into week two of the school closure after a scheduled spring break. But that doesn't mean there wasn't a bit of chaos at the start. Dr. DeMuth was forward-thinking, and she did have us developing a plan for the what-if. We got to the point that on Thursday the 12th of March, we had a final meeting, and Dr. DeMuth was pleased with the plan, said, this sounds good, I think this can work, I think we're ready if we have to end up closing or whatever, we want to feed our kids, I think we're ready. And then to everybody's surprise, later that afternoon, she called to say the plans we made are now in effect. It's like, wait, 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 wait. I thought we were getting ready for in case we didn't come back after spring break. And we really thought we were preparing on an in case we couldn't come back on June 23rd. I'm not June 23rd, March 23rd. As it turned out, we didn't come back on March 13th. That was our first day. When they were picking up packets, we were doing meals that day. That that was rough. <laughs> I was just happy when Dr. Smooth called me. I just kept saying, okay, I have a plan. 
then she's like, are you okay? Are you ready? It's like, I have a plan. I just kept saying, I have a plan. <laughs> and I mean, literally got out of meeting with her like at nine that morning, had alerted the kitchen managers, met with them that afternoon at 2.15. And it was maybe 3.34, somewhere in there, when Dr. DeMuth called to say the plan was in action. I was like, okay, great. So fortunately, I had got cell phone numbers for all the kitchen managers, and I sent a group text to, can you meet me at the office at 630? And they all came. And it's like, lunch is not what you had planned for tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) because you need to put it in a bag. Mm -hmm. And so go to your kitchens tonight and figure out what that is and be ready in the morning. And they all came and they called their staff and some of those folks came out that night and start putting bags together. (laughs) It was that quick. So it was a little mind boggling that, oh my gosh, um, it's here right now. Am I really ready? (laughs) Like I got a plan, but (laughs) a plan that I really didn't plan on having to implement. (laughs) So they made it work that first day. Then they had spring break to regroup and get the new system in place. On that first day back from spring break, around 9,000 families took meals. It was high that day since all families picking up iPads and curriculum packets from the schools were offered the meals. Since that first day, the numbers have leveled out to around 4,000 families daily, which Hattie says is in line with their free and reduced lunch numbers. These lunches are available for all children free of charge, but the majority of households using the service are on free and reduced lunch programs. Since food distribution requires being around other people and interacting with the public, I wanted to know how they were preventing the potential spread of infection during the food prep and the food distribution. I guess the biggest change for us is the social distancing, because typically you're in the kitchen, you're working with somebody, you're on one side of the table, they're on the other side of the table, and at most the table is three or four feet deep. And so to shift people from end to end to get that spacing has been the biggest challenge. On the uh, other side, safe food handling and food safety, that's just what we do as a practice anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The clean, the sanitize, the disinfect, is just a part of regular routine. We have stress to our bus drivers because typically they're not in the kitchen. And even though they're just handling the boxes and all those things, we've expressed to them that they need to, even at that service point, get their food handler gloves on. Bus drivers and bus monitors are helping to distribute the food at the community sites, the non-school locations. I keep hearing about the trials of office workers shifting to work at home, the isolation and even boredom from being cooped up in the house. I suspected that has not been Hattie's experience the past few weeks. (laughs) It has not. Um, I am in the office or out and about at a school every day, Monday through Friday, all day I'm here. We're busier in here now. Um, There's so much emotion, I guess, into this. And even though it's food service and food service is what we do, we're doing it in a different way. And some of the staff, of course, they're stressed and they're trying Mm -hmm. to do all this production and and keep the social distancing going and then do quantity food production in a different way. 
it's just a different kind of learning curve, which adds its own level of stress to what's already a stressful situation. It's it's like we're not stopping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like when you think you can step tip back and take a breather, something else comes up that, you know, maybe you didn't anticipate or you thought they understood, but it's even though it's a slight difference, it's different enough that you need to go back and retrain and redirect. Take our fresh produce. Our delivery days have always, always been Tuesdays and Thursdays. Well, because of this situation and how hard the that industry has been hit with all these schools across, and I'll just mm-hmm. stay here in Indiana, that also purchase from Piazza Produce, they're getting hit for a lot of fresh cuts. We all want not our broccoli heads because we don't have time to clean them all and cut them all. We want the broccoli florets fresh. They can't keep up. On the other side of their coin, they lost a good volume of their restaurant business because restaurants are closed. That impacted their distribution. They made changes, and all of a sudden, our delivery days aren't Tuesday, Thursday. They switched us to Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but guess what? Managers had already did orders, anticipating a Tuesday drop. Then you find out on Monday, no, 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 we had to make a change. We're not in Bloomington on Tuesdays. You'll see that product on Wednesday. It's like, oh, no, now what am I going to do for produce? And so now you're calling every other school, who's got excess of this and excess of that? jump in the car, run it around, get it from this one that's got a little extra one to that one. And, oh, my gosh, now some of my kids are going to have carrots for their veggies and these are going to have broccoli for their veggie. And and it's just trickled down. The industry has been shaken by what schools are doing right now because while we purchase from these same vendors, we purchase different products and in different volumes. I need to take my menu off the website. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, been a challenge. I wanted to know how she personally is holding up. I'm doing okay. Um, I think Friday and maybe that first week, uh, it was just hard. I think I just put in way too many hours trying to be sure, trying to be ready, trying to be sure the staff was ready, everybody's understood. And by the time I got to last weekend, I thought, oh, the battery is drained. I am dead. (laughs) But by Sunday, I was back to normal. And and here I am and all is good. I'm healthy. I've decided that this is really an opportunity to truly be of service to other folks. And I'm just enjoying it. I pray daily for myself, for my staff, that they stay healthy, that their families stay healthy. Because without all those cooks out there, none of this food could happen. That plan couldn't have been implemented if it were not for all those cooks and bus drivers and bus monitors that are carrying this food around the county. So like I said, I just pray daily that they remain healthy, that they stay encouraged and and keep a love for kiddos so that they continue to want to get out there and get up every day and make the food. As the head of child nutrition services for the school district, Hattie Johnson knows better than most how many families rely on school lunches and the ongoing need for food assistance in our community. I asked if she was concerned about those numbers increasing. Oh, I'm sure I'm sure that they will, um, because you've got so many people that are now in new charter new waters, like they've never 
been unemployed. They've never had to go down and ask for assistance. And so I'm concerned that as time goes on, will they know how to navigate that process? Most people that have never been on the school meal program don't know how simple it is to apply or they've got so much pride that they may go without because pride is in the way and they won't come and ask and apply. So when, when, when COVID-19 is over, you know, it's peaked and the numbers have come down and life goes back to normal, I'm thinking there are still going to be people who lost the job because the small business couldn't sustain through this and their kids aren't on free lunch because they had income, are they going to get lost? When this is over, it's like it's not over on our end because then we need to spearhead into that communication piece of training and information for people who have never been on the unemployment line, who just don't know where to go to navigate the serve and find the services that are out there for them because it's real. That was Hattie Johnson, Director of Nutrition Services for Monroe County Community School Corporation. You can find details about the school lunch distribution program on our website, eartheats.org. Our recipe today is not a fancy dish. It's simple. It's basic. You'll find a variation of it in many cultures, especially in Central and South America. It was the first thing I learned to make on my own as a young adult, and it stayed with me. It's a comfort food, and it seems appropriate for these times. Black beans and rice. The way that I make my dry beans these days is I pour them into a crock pot, and I cover them with water, and I cook them on high for three hours. You can also throw a bay leaf in there, maybe some salt, and cut up an onion, throw it in there, just to begin building some flavor. So it has been about two hours and 45 minutes. I'm going to check to see if they're done. Oh yeah, these are done. So at this point you want to take them off when they're nice and soft, but hopefully still retaining their shape turn the heat off and you might want to pour out any extra liquid so they're not just continuing to sit there and soak and get softer. And now it's time to work on seasoning the beans. I want to get some more flavors in there. So I'm going to add some garlic, some spices like cumin, chili powder, and I'm also going to add some tomatoes. I'm going to add canned tomatoes. Put some oil in the pan. Let that heat up, and we'll add the garlic. And then we're going to add two teaspoons of cumin, and about a half a teaspoon of chili powder. And let all of that saute together, releasing those flavors and aromas. Let that sizzle for about a minute. And then I'm gonna use canned tomatoes. I prefer the whole tomatoes. They tend to have a little more flavor and substance to them. 
And I'm just gonna break them up with my wooden spoon and turn the heat up a little. Get the tomatoes cooking. And at this point, you'll also wanna add more salt. Gonna add at least another teaspoon. At this point, you could also add chilies. You could add dried chilies in the crock pot or you could add some fresh chopped chilies right now. I'm gonna see what I've got here by way of chilies. Chipotle Morita. This is a dried one. I think I'm just gonna stick one of those in here now. I probably should have done it earlier, but I'm gonna go ahead and try it. Okay, our tomatoes are really simmering here and they're nice and broken up. And I'm gonna add the beans back in and I've taken out the two bay leaves. And now I'm going to bring that up to a boil and then turn it down and let it simmer, probably with the lid off or just slightly a jar. Um, let it just simmer for another 20 minutes, half hour or so, just to really let all those flavors meld together. And it's pretty much ready. All right, our black beans have been simmering with their seasoning for about 20 minutes. And let's check on them. They look great. They have kind of a sauciness, uh, glossy look to them. The beans are still holding their shape. That tomato mixture is just fully incorporated and it smells fantastic. Let's give it a taste. Mmm, yeah, the smoky, that smoky chipotle is really coming through. Uh, they taste pretty well seasoned. I'm probably gonna wanna put hot sauce on it but not everyone in my family likes spicy food, so I tend to keep things on the mild side and then we just always have hot sauce on the table. So these are ready. And I'm gonna turn the heat off for now. And when we're ready to have dinner, I'm gonna make some rice. Make whichever kind of rice you prefer. You can also serve it over quinoa or some other grain of your choice. I'm just gonna use white rice in the rice cooker. And Follow the instructions on your package of rice if you don't already know how to make rice. And then I like to serve it with all sorts of toppings. I'm gonna put jack shredded jack cheese on it, lettuce and spinach shredded, some red salsa, a little bit of sour cream. If you have an avocado, that would be perfect. You could squeeze a little wedge of lime over the top and just serve that in a bowl over the rice and all the toppings and it is delicious and satisfying, almost festive, but yet it's also this really basic, comforting, simple meal. Since we made a big pot of it, we're gonna have a lot of leftovers, so that can be burritos, tacos throughout the week, and that's about it, black beans. Find the recipe at eartheats.org. That's it for our show this week. Stay nourished, stay safe. The Earth Eats team includes Ayoban Binder, Chad Bouchard, Mark Chilla, Abraham Hill, Taylor Killo, Josephine McRobbie, Daniel Orr, the IU Food Institute, Harvest Public Media, and me, Renee Reed. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. 
Eartheats is produced and edited by Kate Young, and our executive producer is John Bailey. Special thanks this week to Hattie Johnson and Sharon Stanton. Production support comes from insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive home, auto, business, and life coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at BillRushInsurance.com. Blooming Foods Co-op Market, providing local residents with locally sourced food since 1976. Owned by over 12,000 residents in Monroe County and beyond. More at BloomingFoods.coop. And Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent providing customized financial services for individuals, businesses, and disabled adults, including tax planning, bill paying, and estate services. More at personalfinancialservices.net.